Welcome to Bible Mysteries. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? You're listening to episode 166, Wandering Stars, interview with Ryan Peterson. Now here are your hosts, Scott and John. Hello and welcome once again to Bible Mysteries Podcast. I'm Scott Mitchell. And I'm John Potts. And this is the show that talks about things in the Bible that the world doesn't want you to know. And John, we are going to dive into it tonight with a very special guest, uh, Ryan Peterson, who I'm going to introduce here in just a moment. But uh, we are so excited about this show, been, been looking forward to it. And this is going to be our last guest interview for the year. So what a perfect way to wrap up our year than with our brother Ryan. Definitely. Definitely. Great author, great friend. Great. I'm telling you. So uh, we'll bring it here in just a second, but why don't we just dive right in, John, and let's go ahead and welcome our latest group of seekers. Yeah, absolutely. So this episode, being number 166, is brought to us by our premium subscribers, or what we call seekers, Andrea C., Daniel R., Lisa G., Stephanie C., and William C., all of which joined us to support the ministry in July of this year. Thank you all very much. Absolutely. We appreciate all of our seekers and subscribers. And want to remind all of the listeners and, and people that whether they subscribe or not, we provide all this content free, but we do provide bonus content for our premium uh, subscribers. So check out what's available for you to take advantage of there, which includes our full guest interview. So you'll get to hear a portion of this. But I have a feeling when we get in the middle of this and it cuts off for those of you that don't subscribe, you're going to go, oh man, I got to hear the rest of this. So you'll probably subscribe to hear the rest and, and please take advantage of the other premium content that we provide you. And thank you so much for your support of this ministry. We're going to go ahead and welcome our guest, Ryan Peterson. Ryan is a Bible scholar, a lecturer, filmmaker and author of Judgment of the Nephilim, The Final Nephilim, Their Related Study Guides, and the video judgment of the Nephilim Secrets of the Pre-Flood World, which is a documentary, and then the final Nephilim Battle for Heaven and Earth DVD. So he's been a busy, busy man. We're going we're gonna to learn a little bit more about what he's got going on right now. But Ryan was our first ever guest interview on Bible Mysteries. Uh, he kicked off the 2023 season with us at our debriefing summit in January, and now he's here to end our third season. Ryan, welcome back to Bible Mysteries, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, John. Honored to be back on. And, you know, you know, just keeping in the theme of the, you know, that biblical theme I love, the end is the beginning, the beginning is the end. So I'm happy to be the first and last show of 2023. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I and I tell you, we're so happy to have you. You're probably one of—I mean, don't get me wrong—we love all of our guests, but I think you're one of our favorites uh, from our guests, from our listeners' position because um, we just talk about such interesting things, and your books are so amazing. So why don't you bring us up to date on what you're doing, uh, Ryan? I know you've got new projects in the works. Tell me what's what's going on. Yeah, so I just debuted my newest documentary. Um, as you mentioned, I, I also produce documentaries. My latest one, which is called The End Times Nephilim Deception, I was able to debut that at 
uh, in Norman, Oklahoma at the Imminent Return Conference for Prophecy Watchers. And this is the documentary I've, I've probably mentioned to you before, but it really is an expose. It's very different from anything I've done before where it is going into detail to expose the movies, TV shows, comics, video games that are taking the account of Genesis 6, the Nephilim, the fallen angels, the days of Noah, and twisting it. And they're making the fallen angels the heroes, the Nephilim the heroes. And even many of these books are saying that have prophecies of a Nephilim Messiah. And so mm. it's really, and it's being targeted at the, the youth, teens, young adults. It's really aimed at our children, our grandchildren. And so it's a, so I just finished that expose. So that, um, that debuted at, again, at the Imminent Return Conference, and that will um, be available uh, at the end of December. Uh, awesome. on, online on my Vimeo page, um, on Vimeo On Demand, and of course also in DVD. So that, that'll be my next thing that will be released at the end of this month, right? hopefully right before Christmas. Oh, that will that uh, be a perfect Christmas gift? <laughs> absolutely. Christmas gift, yeah. it, 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 and it's important, you know, I, I can say confidently that when I, when I showed clips of the documentary in Norman that there were a lot of jaws on the floor because, you know, even for the for you know your listeners and most of your listeners and, and subscribers who really are into pro- prophecy, the supernatural, and really want to understand these concepts, there are still many of us in the church who are very unaware of how much content the world is putting out there that's talking about the Nephilim, that's quoting scripture, that's mentioning things from the book of Enoch, from the book of Jasher, but they're using it to subvert the word and really teach a false teaching and false oh, doctrine. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. Um, the and then 2024, I got a lot of things lined up. I'm very happy to also announce that, also by popular demand, for all anyone out there who's a Spanish speaker, uh, El Jucio de los Nephilim is now final. It's now uh, oh. final. The manuscript I have the Spanish manuscript of Judgment of the Nephilim done. Fantastic. So it's being formatted and now be available. And I've been asked for years to get a Spanish translation. And uh, some some uh, ministries, especially in Florida, reach, have reached out to me to say that you know if we if we can just get this done, there's such a demand in the Spanish speaking community to really understand this. So I'm excited for that. And then um, a couple of series coming out. I've uh, children's books, Bible book series oh, uh, that's yeah. going to be coming out. Yeah, that's going to be um, focused on teaching. What, what we know the common popular Bible stories: Adam and Eve, Moses, Joseph. But really, I think teaching in a manner of understanding how I think how God wants to understand the Bible, which is by typology, by types and shadows, by teaching children from a young age to understand that Christ, Jesus, our Messiah, is in every story, that these aren't fables, these aren't moralized stories, these are actual, the gospel is in all of them. So that's that's yeah. the thrust of that. So, uh, Amen. Yeah. So, and, you know, I got a big, you know, this year I'm trying to do a lot for the younger generation. You know, I was a youth leader in New York for 10 years at my church. So kids, teaching oh. kids has been a big part, even before I had children. And so for, for our teens and college age set, I am also working uh, with an artist right now on a graphic novel version of Judgment of the Nephilim. So, um, oh, now that's that got to be the coolest world. thing ever. <laughs> yeah. And, when I, and don't get me wrong. When I, I, I was a huge graphic novel fan in college and high school and junior high school. So this is like, I want to make something that's exactly what I would see and grab immediately off a shelf in any bookstore or magazine store. That's, that's what I'm going for. So I want to really have 
high-level illustrations and artistry, but also teaching Genesis 6 accurately and, uh, you know, giving yeah. the message of God in there. Wow, praise some God. very cool imagery. <laughs> that, that's well. Listen, that ministry is so needed. Um, I know that when I had my church and I, before I retired from being a pastor, we we had a youth ministry. We focused. Now our kids were young at the time, so we were partly motivated by that. But we thoroughly enjoyed focusing and directing the teaching to children instead of just making them, you know, hear sort of sugarcoated Sunday school lessons or forcing them to just sit into the adults and be bored to tears, you know? So we, uh, we, we think that's so important and I praise God you're doing that. Uh, amen. Hey, Thank Brian, you. Thank you so much. Brian, yeah. Question on, on what you just mentioned there. I mean, first of all, the documentary that you mentioned and what was the name of it again, that it's available on your website, I believe you said. It will, yeah, it will be available in about two in about a week and a half to two weeks, and it's called uh, the End Times Nephilim Deception. Okay, and can can people, especially since we're in the series, or I'm sorry, in the season, can folks go download that, buy it, and gift it over to someone else via email or something like that? Do we have that capability? You know, that's a great thing. You know, I can actually make that capability available. So, um, oh yeah. You mentioned that wow. I can I can actually set it up on my website so that you can you can even name it after somebody if you want the code to be someone's name like John or, or Scott or Ryan. Yeah. Um, yeah so, you know, I've, I, I never that's a great idea. So I will make sure that that because I have the ability to do that. So I'll make that capability an option that you can just buy it for someone as a as a gift. John, that is such a great question. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, we just discovered that we can allow people to gift subscriptions for Bible Mysteries podcast, you know, and, and oh, there's wow. a way to do that Great. too. So I'm sure there's a way, Ryan, that you could make that happen. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, awesome. Be, I mean, if, if you could, like you said, mention it, you could buy or pay for it and then essentially it would email or text that person, that code, they then go to your website, they could stream it onto their TV and watch it with their family. I mean, there's that, especially taking your, another version of your book and making it available for people to watch on TV. I, I would know so many people that would love to have that. So that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Well, that great, <laughs> great thought, John. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and Ryan, those products, I'm going to link all of your resources uh, in, in the show notes for our show today. So uh, yeah. those of you that may not, need, may not be familiar with Ryan, uh, I'll have his links to the uh, days of Noah publishing and, and the judgment of Nephilim.com. All of that, where I'm assuming that's where they can re access these resources, right? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it can all be found there. Fantastic. Well, now let's let's get into the let's get into the uh, the, the nitty gritty here. Um, we're going to call this episode "Wandering Stars," and uh, of course, you know, I'm referring to the reference in the Book of Jude. And I think, um, and we're going to get into that later because we're going to come to a point where we want to focus more specifically on the Nephilim. But I think that there's probably a description there of something Nephilimic-like or something going on, and we're going to get to that. But we're going to kind of back up and discuss a little bit of history, at, uh, well, prophecy, I should say, uh, as it relates to what's going on in current events today. And we're going to, of course, talk about Israel because they've been in the news recently with the uh, latest attacks by Hamas and all that stuff. And that, of course, is leading many Christians to believe that this war that's happening right now might be the fulfillment of Psalm 83. And, and by the way, I, I was sort of blown away to learn this. Um, I don't know if you heard this, but uh, are you familiar with the actress uh, or the comedian Roseanne Barr? 
Yes. You know, she, she got fired, I think, from her yeah. show or something well, some years ago. The show rose in. Yeah. And, of course, everybody now is getting on the podca- podcast bandwagon, and she has two. Well, so she's got a podcast. I didn't even know she did one. And she and her sons run it. And she had Tucker Carlson on as a guest. So they're both very conservative, and they're talking about politics. And they, I kid you not, Ryan, she mentioned the word Nephilim. Did <laughs> yes, you hear about I, this? I did. I did, yes. So uh, <laughs> I think the moment it came out, the number of people sent that clip to me to watch. <laughs> okay, and, there you know, go. This is going to blow your mind. Yeah, I saw that. And Tucker Carlson, you know, he, he kind of uh, left the door open. You know, he said, I'm not a theologian, but right. however, you know, this is what people are talking about in the church. And so, yeah. It's that was really amazing. Yeah, it's it's you know again. I I always talk about how we're reaching a convergence, right? Where prophecy is converging with world events, and that we're clearly, clearly racing to that convergence and the ultimate, you know, fulfillment of Revelation. Amen. And that's exactly what came into my head. Of course, at first I thought of you because you brought to my attention the Nephilim with your book. But then I and then Tucker even said something about he thinks there's something spiritual going on, you know, evil. And and, and it's like, well, yeah. yeah. So the fact that the mainstream media is getting is waking up to what we've been saying for years in scripture uh, is to me an indication that maybe hopefully we're reaching some folks. And and so Obviously, if that is the case, and they're losing the battle of controlling the narrative, I can see why they might want to start a war to deflect and distract. And so I'd like to know what you think God is doing. and what, what may, Is he actively dealing with the modern nation of Israel today? What do you think is going on there? If you, just to summarize it, I don't expect you to give me a full political blow-by-blow, blow, you know. Yeah, sure. So I, so I put what's taking place in Israel, and of course, we are praying for peace there for the, Israel, the, the Israeli people as well as the Palestinians, first and foremost. And But I think in terms of biblical prophecy and what's taking place, I put this in the category of, uh, you know, that second seal of the wars and rumors of wars of what's taking place. And I don't put it at a Psalm 83. And the reason why, I think there's two main reasons. One, I think Psalm 83 is is a prophecy to be fulfilled, but that's in the context of Antichrist. That's the great tribulation prophecy. When you talk about cutting off Israel as a nation, I believe that's, that's the, going to be the Antichrist mission after the midpoint of the great tribulation when he then chooses to betray Israel. And we see this also depicted in Revelation 17 with the 10 kings who give their power and work with the Antichrist says they shall hate the whore, the the harlot, uh, who I believe, Mystery Babylon the Great, who I believe is the city, is Israel, is the city of Jerusalem. So they, they now choose to attack and destroy. So I believe that's really what that's referring to. And in terms of how... God is dealing with Israel presently. I believe that God is still in a phase where, to use biblical terminology, he is hiding his face from Israel. In other words, he's not dealing with Israel at present. That God is waiting to a certain time, and I believe it's the fulfillment of the church age. And then he's going to turn his face back to Israel. And so what we're seeing now is a prophetic, yes, I think in the sense of these are the birth pangs. But when God, when the great tribulation begins, that is the moment when God will then, as he says in his scripture, turn his face back. He will no longer hide his face back. And so I I put really what the war that we should be looking for 
and I know you and John have covered this um, in earlier episodes, is the Gog-Magog, the first of the Gog-Magog wars, is what I truly see at the time where God is going to then turn his face back. And now he's going to start the end times reconciliation of that believing remnant of Israel. Yes, I, I could not agree more. In fact, I fully believe that he's waiting according to Isaiah 5.15 until they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. So not only was God hiding his face, like you said, but he's waiting for them to seek him. And he says, in their affliction, they'll seek me. So I'm still, to me, I don't think historically we've had that affliction yet that is going to cause Israel and mass to seek God's face and to make their confession. Exactly. Exactly. It's going to be a national cry. And I, and I see the reconciliation as really two parts. It's first a cry out to Yahweh, Abba, the Father. Yes. And then, as the tribulation continues, it's the acknowledgement of Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus as Messiah. So, um, But again, I don't place that now. Uh, because that time of God turning his face, I don't think is going to happen until we get to that Ezekiel 39 war. Yeah. Uh, the first war of the two Gog-Magog wars. Exactly. And and by the way, that brings me to a question I was going to ask later, but you've segued into it perfectly, which is um, many uh, and many people that you and I know, dear Christians uh, and dear brothers and sisters in Christ, they believe that Ezekiel 37 was fulfilled when Israel was established by the UN in 1948 as a nation. And I, I tell you, I read that prophecy, and I see a resurrection of the dead, not a gathering into the land. Do you believe that prophecy was fulfilled? Or, or like you said, do you think it's going to be waiting, waiting until Ezekiel 39? I, I think, again, that is yet to be fulfilled. And, you know, what happened in 1948, of course, is momentous from a historic standpoint, right? You, you can go back to Isaac Newton, who said, wrote in his own writings on scripture that one day the nation of Israel will return. So in that sense, it has significance, but from a prophetic standpoint, especially with Ezekiel 37, I don't believe it's been fulfilled because it wasn't a divine act. It was an act by yeah. the UN acting, you know, on the Balfour declaration and a political movement among the elites, you know, and the UN itself is kind of a global governing body. So that wasn't a divine act. And in addition we have to remember, you know, the, if we want to follow what the scriptures are saying, God says he's going to gather Israel from the four corners of the earth. Yeah. Which means there are going to be Israelites coming from every continent on the planet. And clearly what happened in 1948, uh, 1948 wasn't that. In 1947 and 1948, it was clearly just bringing the European Jews following World War II into the promised land. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get into some things about that I'd like to discuss. So we'll revisit that history a little bit and the formation. You mentioned the Balfour Declaration, and, and you know, we can go back to the first Zionist Congress and Theodore Herzl and talk about any of that. But I, you know, since I'm not a historian, <laughs> I do think that where I focus my attention is in the scriptures. And I found it fascinating that the Song of Moses of Deuteronomy 32, which contains Israel's prophesied future before they even went into the land. And yet we see all the way over in Revelation 15, the group of saints that overcame the beast and they stand on the sea of glass. Not only do they sing that song, but they sing the song of the Lamb. Do you see a significance to this? Why bring up the song of Moses in Revelation 15? What do you think is happening there? Sure. Well, I think it's, you know, goes back to what I call on the final Nephilim, the quantum repetition in scripture. So remember, there are two yeah. songs of Moses uh, in scripture. And the, the first is found in Exodus 15, you know, 
interesting coincidence that's Revelation 15 is being quote is quoting Exodus 15 as well, but referencing to it in the Song of Moses. And if you look at that verse, which is you know in Exodus 15, it, the song says, "Thy right hand, O Lord," which I believe is a reference to Jesus, a reference to Messiah. This has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, has dashed in pieces the enemy. And so this is so it's very much a military conquest language. It's celebrating God's victory over Pharaoh. And so, of course, we see that in the end times, the end, that Pharaoh was just a foreshadow of the Antichrist, of Amen. the final Nephilim. Yeah. And so this is so I believe that's the significant. Hi, if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider being a full time subscriber. We are going to use these funds to expand the message and get the word out about what's in the Bible that the world doesn't want you to know about. That's right, John. We appreciate you listening, but we'd love it if you'd subscribe. That way we can reach more people with the time we have left. So enjoy the rest of the podcast, but think about subscribing if the Lord puts it on your heart. To subscribe, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com. Thanks. Such a repetition when you look at the judgments, when you look at the way the Antichrist is punished with darkness, with water turning to blood, with sores on their skin, we're seeing this repetition. Also interesting in Exodus 15, in that song, as it continues, Moses continues to talk about God's power. He controls the wind. He's, he vanquished the enemy. But then he says in verse 11, he says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And so again, just like we saw in the Exodus, where God said in Exodus chapter 10, he's not going to just punish Pharaoh. He's going to punish the gods, the fallen angels that were ruling over the satanic spiritual kingdom in Egypt. Again, they're singing this song because, again, the judgments in the Great Tribulation are not just against fallen humanity who have rejected Messiah. It's also against the fallen angelic realm, against Satan, the fallen angelic realm, the Nephilim, all those who oppose God from the supernatural realm as well. You know, I'm so glad you brought up the fact that there's really two songs and that the one in Exodus is really, we'll call that the victory, uh, if you will, for, for, for to, to distinguish it. But then the one in Deuteronomy 32 is, and, and he said in 31, it would not be forgotten. You know, and so it lays out all that what you're going to do this when you get in the land, you're going to get fat and you're going to turn against me and you're going to worship these gods. And so he, he lays out essentially all the things he would do to punish them and literally says, I'll hide my face from you. You know, so fulfillment yes. of other things we've already discussed. So I find it sort of interesting to me that I saw the connection that both songs are represented in Revelation 15 because it's the finalization of the punishment and the hiding of the second song, if you will, and the the enactment or carrying out of the victory of the first song. So I, from, my, from my standpoint, I like them both. <laughs> you know, I was kind of seeing that. I, I, I actually agree with you 100%. <laughs> I, I agree with you 100%. And, and in the final nothing, I, I actually reference both songs for that exact reason, because I yes. do think that it's that they're celebrating the victory because it says they had gained victory over the beast and over his mark right so it's definitely there's a victorious right. aspect of the, the inscription <clears throat> but at the same time it is the fulfillment of god finally they've gone through the entire journey right this cycle of sin and rejection right. of god and being punished to now finally being reconciled and God turning his face back. And that's, it's a beautiful, beautiful, you know, revelation. What a beautiful song. Know that God, he promised a punishment and a judgment, but he also promised a reconciliation. He also promised grace. 
Amen. Everything is forgotten. They are all the sin, all the rebellion, all the idolatry is now forgotten yeah. and they are accepted in the beloved. Amen. As far as the East is from the West. And it's such a beautiful picture, too, that they sing that song of Moses uh, as almost as if to say, okay, we finished the song. It's over. It's done. Now the song of the Lamb. And here comes yes. grace and eternity and love and mercy and all that. So I, I think there's a beautiful Amen. picture in that for Israel. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So back to a little bit of Israel's history. So I think that it's sad to see the term anti-Semitism kicked around uh, and to accuse anybody that's not pro-Zionist of being an anti-Semite simply because they might say, I'm not comfortable with 10,000 Palestinian children being killed by the uh, IDF or Mossad or whoever's involved, ultimately from the leadership of Israel. And we know, just like you said, that when um, the Lord returns to punish the gods uh, to fulfill Exodus 15 in the future, those gods are still the princes and the powers that are running these nations of the world. Modern Israel's symbol is the Star of David, which is not a scriptural sign at all. Uh, I believe the history is it's the star of Kiyun or Molech, and it's actually Saturn, which violates the not making graven images. So is this symbol not in violation of the Torah, in your opinion? Uh, sadly, I think it is, right? That it is a graven image. And certainly the thing that's to me without dispute is there is no reference to a star of David in the Bible. So clearly its origins are not biblical. And when you look back, it was really first started to be used in the 17th century. And I, and I think, you know, even going further back into Kabbalistic sources, you see that the, in Jewish Kabbalah, the use of the hexagram, which it basically is, yes. um, goes back to even the second century AD as a significant symbol for basically for magic, right? The Kabbalah, the whole purpose of the Kabbalah and the Sephiroth is to access the angelic realm, to access the divine realm mm. and pierce the veil. So it's been in use in, in Jewish culture and mysticism. However, it had no connection to the Bible. And then it started being called the Magen David in, uh, the 17th century and, and right. then turned to the star of David that we have today. But to your point, yes, I, I do also associate it with this idea of the star of your God. And when you go back to, to the song, to the song of Moses, right? When God is, when Amos is re rebuking the Israelites for taking up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of their God, Remphan, that's during the wandering that they were carrying yes. this tabernacle around. And so it even goes back to, that planned, that rebellion that was prophesied by God is all linked to uh, this star of Chiun or Remphan, as Stephen calls him in Acts 7, yes. which is Saturn. I also agree it's Saturn that is often connected with Satan in the occult. I mean, if you could just look at easily one of the most famous occultists, uh, Helena Blavatsky, uh, in The Secret Doctrine says Saturn is Satan. Yes. And so, so there's really some sinister... Um, kind of occult connections to that symbol. Interestingly, also, the hexagram star was also something, when you go back again to the second century AD, and was also something used in Israel during the Bar Kokhba uh, rebellion. And yeah, I've heard familiar, about that. Bar Kokhba was in, you know, circa 125 AD, uh, when there were still Israelites living in Israel, in Judea, 
he led a rebellion against the, against Rome. Right. And he was in, he was appointed or anointed uh, by a, the, the most prominent uh, Jewish teacher and leader at that time, Rabbi Akiva, as the Messiah. He declared him to be the Messiah. Wow. And he, there was actually a star of, in fact, Bar Kokhba means son of the star. Mm. In, in Hebrew, it means son of the, that's how he received that name. That wasn't his actual name. He gave him that name and made it his symbol. And he based it on Numbers 24 and Balaam's prophecy when he says there should be a star out of Jacob. And so this concept wow. of a star and a son of a star who's going to be a messianic figure. And of course, he, he was ultimately killed, but he was believed to be by many thousands of Jews at that time. He was believed to be the Messiah. And, uh, but of course, led a failed re rebellion and was killed. And that actually led to the Israelites being expelled out of the promised land altogether. You know, so when you see that yeah. like the Romans did by even changing the name of Judea to Palestine, right, in honor of the Philistines, that was all connected to this rebellion. So it's very interesting to me that a false Messiah was put forth to Israel as the son of the star. And so, um, so yeah. yes, I, I, I think, again, it's all, it wouldn't surprise me to see again, because you, if you look even in modern Talmudic eschatology, they still talk about this, that the Messiah will be born under a star. So there's a lot of spiritual deception that could potentially take place in the end times connected to this star symbol. Yes, I, I, I didn't know that whole story you just shared about Bar Kokhba, and um, I was familiar with it somewhat, but you gave me some, some details I didn't know, which leads me to, well, first of all, you, you mentioned the Kabbalah, and really secular Judaism is sort of based on the Talmudic teachings, the rabbinical teachings in Kabbalah, from, really from Babylon. I, yeah. I would say that when, when the first uh, captivity took place, that's where a lot of that uh, infiltration of ancient Babylonian cult worship got into the Jewish religion. So don't you think that those rabbinic teachings and the Talmudic teachings or the vain traditions that Jesus was criticizing when he said, you break the commandments of God, you know, in Matthew 15? Uh, definitely. I mean, they had, I mean, to the point that, you know, they had, I, I don't know how many dozens, if not hundreds of rules, verses that were totally outside of the Bible that they were treating as if it were the word of God. So yes, I would agree. Yeah. Which, which brings me then back to your point about the red star and, and, the, and Bar Kokhba and that rebellion. So now we have to face some uncomfortable truths about the formation of the modern state of Israel, beginning with the First Zionist Congress and um, the Balfour Declaration and all that. But Essentially, most of that being pushed through Parliament at the time after the end of World War I was funded by Rothschild money. And those who know anything about the Rothschilds, that name means Red Shield. And I believe that symbol was the same star, or at least a star, if not a hexagram, which is the star of Moloch. So um, my, my question would be, if that's true, why would God use the unrighteous Rothschild money to gather his people back into the land when they appear to today be governed by the same generation of vipers as the Pharisees were when it comes to being in violation of his truth or, or what he's, you know, the, the same ones who rejected Messiah? Right. You know, great question. And, you know, I think about it this way, right? Because we just don't normally think of Israel in this context. But if you look at the church, right? Think about First uh, John chapter two when John's talking about 
there are many antichrists, you know, that, that, that exist right now. They probably know it's the last time he said they went out from us, but they were not of us. And so this idea of infiltration in the church, false prophets, false messiahs, false doctrine, most Christians readily accept it. That yes, in the church, in, the, in, the, in today, and certainly as we approach the end times, there's going to be this influx of infiltration of people pretending to be Bible-believing Christians who are sincere believers in Jesus Christ, but they're deceivers. So why wouldn't Satan do the same thing with Israel today? Right. Why wouldn't Satan also infiltrate? And right, it's the weed among the tares. God said, let them both grow together. Yes. Right. So I think it's the same thing, right? They are our spiritual brother by adoption, right? Israel. So why wouldn't God, why wouldn't the enemy also use the same tactics of allow of infiltrating with false teachings, false leaders, those who are claiming to be uh, for Yahweh, but are not? Right. Yeah. I, I think I think I think it's the exact same phenomenon that's happening in the church today. Well, I, I so agree. In fact, um, based on several passages, some of which you just mentioned, we know there's going to be imposters who will call themselves Jews. Like you said, tares among the wheat. Paul made it clear that genetically that doesn't make you a true Israel in Romans 9. He, he talked about, you know, not, they are not all Israel which are of Israel. And then there's some reference in Revelation to some group that calls itself the synagogue of Satan. And I don't know if that's only limited to the first century, or is that a foreshadowing of things to come? We do know that Jesus said, it's from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force in Matthew 11. So what do you think this might reveal about the current Israel and the violence being used to take the land of Palestine? Because I think ultimately what Satan wants is that throne in Jerusalem. He, that's what he's after. So absolutely, you know, that's, that, is, that is is all. It all goes back to Jerusalem and the throne of David and sitting on that throne. And we know this. This goes right back to the Gospels, right? The expectation that Messiah would conquer Rome, which is why Bar Kokhba was so popular. Right? He was taking up arms to say we're going to take it by force. Right? Whereas, what did Jesus say? Jesus said that my kingdom is not even of this world. Or my servants would fight. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. So if we see a fight taking place right now, a battle for this land, those aren't Christ's servants. Because this is not his kingdom. His kingdom is not yet hence. And so I think what we're seeing, and I understand, you know, I, I, I understand the fervor in the church to say, hey, we want to bless Israel. We want to protect Israel. We want to see Israel survive and the attacks you know by hamas were just gruesome they were you know they were gruesome attacks absolutely horrible horrible acts of wickedness and yeah. satanic wickedness no less and even the hamas charter that's calling for genocide it's a racist organization that being said we have to remember as christians that our answer is not warring with flesh and blood Amen. It's not launching a war and seeking revenge and, and just wiping out people. That is certainly not the way of Christ. And so if a government of Israel chooses to go that way, we can't just say, okay, we just support that and, can, and condone it when that is clearly uh, antithetical to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, absolutely. Like you said right off the bat, we, we don't wish ill or harm or death or war on anybody. Uh, and we don't like the fact that anyone was attacked, whether it was uh, uh, known or unknown at the time uh, or unprepared or whatever the reason why the Hamas group broke through that wall. But um, innocent people died, and now they're still dying and as a result of the repercussions of that. And to just characterize one group of people as simply subhuman 
and they deserve th- that. Or, or I've heard even horrible statements like, well, they're just terrorists in the making when they're children, so they should die before they become uh, violent. That, that is, like you said, totally antithetical to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Right, and and that's just the dangers of the that's that's the flesh speaking, right? That is the flesh yes. that when we when we have such a hunger for revenge that we will dehumanize people or say that they're all terrorists, right, and things like that, right? And so that's a dangerous road to go down as a Christian because there's no righteousness, there's no Christ in that type of thinking. Uh, amen. In fact, it's funny we we bring, we mentioned the podcast of Roseanne Barr with Tucker Carlson, and she made some statement in that episode where she said that she had liberal friends that said, well, I'm afraid by you talking about Donald Trump, you're going to humanize the Trump voters. And they are human beings, whether you agree with their policy or not, uh, they're human beings. So if we're going to say a group of people is subhuman, and that's been done in the past to oppress other groups historically. Well, then what's to say that we're not going to be the ones othered next? Christians, believers. And we know it's coming because Paul said perilous times it is, are coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Yes. Yeah. So that, that leads me then to want to ask you about, I guess we could say that Cyrus, the, the Persian king, was the one who was used by the Lord, even prophesied before he was born, to make the proclamation that Jerusalem be rebuilt after the captivity under Nebuchadnezzar and carried captive to Babylon in Isaiah 45. The decree was made or the prophecy was made and then the decree was made later. Do you think that we're looking for the wrong things? You know, Christians are saying, oh, there's war in Israel now. This must be a sign of the times. Or should we be looking for a Persian king to rise up somehow and and make a declaration, you know, talking about quantum uh, things of scripture? The things that was is the thing that shall be, right? Yeah. I mean, that's Ecclesiastes. <laughs> I mean, and it, 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 it's a challenge to say, do you believe God when God says that, that it, it's all going to repeat? And I think so. And of course, it, he, you know, that leader's name may not actually be Cyrus. Right. And he may, he may not even actually even be Persian. But I, I think we'll see a repetition of, of a similar type of event in the end times, for sure, for sure. And I, and I, and I think that's, honestly, I, I have to give you some props. I mean, that is a really mind-blowing uh, revelation that you had there. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you that's stimulate, the, the, the you inspire the best in me, I think, because I've gotten so many great ideas from reading your books and, and having discussions with you. And, and it kind of leads me to another wild theory, which I'll throw at you too, uh, <laughs> along with Cyrus. And that is, you know, I've recently discussed with John, we did a series on the hidden treasure, uh, the hidden ones, and, and the stones that John said that God could raise up his children to Abraham in Matthew 3. And even Christ made a funny statement about, funny to us, you know, uh, when he rose, it rode into uh, Jerusalem on the colt, the foal of an ass, and they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, the Pharisees said, hey, tell your disciples to pipe down. I don't want them saying this. And he said, if they were to hold their peace, the very stones would cry out. So going with your thought of quantum things, I'm wondering if the stones that he was referring to that God could turn into children of Abraham might be a prophetic representation of the 144,000. Because we know that Joshua told that each of the 12 leaders, a tribe leaders to grab a stone out of Jordan when it parted and they crossed into Canaan. Have you done any thought or, or study about that? Yeah, again, I think that's just an amazing, uh, amazing revelation there, right? And so I think that there is a real 
connection. I think you identified a really, you know, a, a pro- that it was a prophecy. And mm-hmm. also another thing too is I don't believe Jesus makes any throwaway statements. Yes, at all. Right. So when Jesus says that these stones can will cry out, I believe that that he's saying that that is going to happen at some point. Uh, yet to be seen. And so in the future, and so I do think that there's a big connection. And when you think about those stones, right, that that it's interesting that we don't often talk about how much of a ritual that Yahweh instructed Joshua and the Israelites to take, to undertake when they crossed the Jordan river and the Jordan river Mm -hmm. supernaturally parted like the Red Sea, that God gave very specific instructions. And it's just something that we don't often unpack. I I get into the stones that were on the bottom of the sea, representing obviously the judged, but then they take those stones for each tribe and put it on the crossing over, right? And I think, and I always think of Jordan crossing the Jordan as that entrance into God's kingdom, right? It's symbolic of of crossing through the veil. And so those stones on the other side, to me, are going to make it to that suit through the veil to be a part of that believing remnant. So, it's so the idea that we again see the 144,000 as being the fulfillment of those 12 stones, I think there's a definite connection there. So I, I can definitely see that being the, 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 that those 144,000 from the 12 tribes are the fulfillment of those 12 stones. Hi, if you'd like to hear the entire exciting and very fascinating interview with Ryan Peterson, please consider becoming a Bible Mysteries Podcast subscriber or seeker. You can do so by going to BibleMysteriesPodcast.com where you can join and gain access to all the bonus content that we have, including our full guest interviews.